This is the Hack the Future podcast, the human stories behind courage, purpose, and imagination. Join your host, Terrence Mowry, who will guide you on the journey of reimagining the world as we know it. Do you lead with New World DNA? New World DNA means scaling intelligence, curiosity, experimentation, psychological safety, and the courage to challenge the status quo. Today, I'm delighted to meet Peter Fisk. He's the founder of Genius Works, IE Business School's program director, and author of Business Recoded, The Courage to Create a Better Future. We'll be unpacking why reimagination is the new execution, and how to turn uncertainty into possibility in a world that's more turbulent and less knowable than ever before. Peter, welcome to the show. How are you today? Hey, Terence, I'm fantastic. It's great to be part of uh, Future Hacking. Let's go. Yes. (laughs) Today, I want to invoke the spirit of Emma Raducanu. Oh great! Uh, <laughs> I give our I give our listeners uh, that the, the equivalent of that incredible uh, optimism and can-do spirit. Yeah, and being a nineteen-year-old protege, just like me. Yeah, <laughs> I mean exactly, exactly. So there is a bit of a backstory here, actually, for our listeners, which is uh, Peter used to used to work uh, at British Airways, didn't you? That's right. Well, uh, I, I started my life at, um, at, uh, in a superconductivity lab, I should say. So um, yes. uh, going underneath the Swiss mountains and uh, doing experiments in terms of what happens when materials go down to absolute zero, minus 273 degrees. Um, but I got bored of that and I, um, I joined British Airways. I joined the world of brands and marketing and uh, within five years yes. I was managing the Concorde brand, uh, which was fabulous. And be you a, a customer or, or, or maybe even the manager occasionally and being able to yes. fly from London to New York and uh, have one breakfast in London, one breakfast did in you have a? Did you actually yeah. go on the Concorde? Yeah, absolutely. It was a fantastic experience. Old, old technology, but still a fantastic experience. Could you see the equivalent of a Concorde coming back in our lifetime? Yeah, well, there's there's lots of discussion at the moment. So um, Boom Technologies, Boom is a, a company based out of uh, uh, New Jersey. Um, yes. they, they are developing a, um, a, a 100-seat supersonic aircraft, uh, which they hope to have operational within three years. And uh, I think it's United Airlines who've uh, yes. taken provisional first contract on it. So we may fly supersonic again. I, I, I would love that. And, and uh, in fact, yesterday, watching the news, I also saw more people going into space with SpaceX. So if, if, the, if the price comes down, that could be an option as well. Absolutely. I mean, <laughs> if you look at if you look at these kind of you know tech entrepreneurs racing each other for the uh, the the honors in terms of how high they can go in space or how many people they can take to space, it's 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 phenomenal. Yeah, it's, uh, it's a bit it's concerning, but phenomenal. Um, yes. But you know, I mean, I think you know, I, I met Richard Branson um, just as he was launching uh, Virgin Galactic, mm-hmm. and he was so excited about it. I mean, mm-hmm. yes, he loved his music business. Yes, he loved his airline. But he was so excited about challenging what we all saw as the frontiers, if you like, and and, and being able to do something which really kind of makes people mm. truly thrilled. And so he truly did want to take to democratize space, as yes. he put it. Yeah. 
I, I love that. And it segues really nicely uh, into your new book, which I really enjoyed reading, Business Recoded, Courage to Create a Better Future, which is out now on Wiley. And it'd be great to get a sense from your perspective of, you know, what, what's, what's, the, what's your kind of big vision for that book and what are some of the, the big takeaways? Okay, so... Um... Yeah, so I, I spent most of my pandemic lockdowns sat at home thinking about, well, the world's been changing for quite a while. What's going to happen mm. next? And so, yes. you know, we've seen over recent years the, the increasingly dramatic effect of, of new technologies. We've mm. seen perhaps even more interestingly than that, the, the, the dramatic shifts in economic power towards Asia and to yes. some extent, the, the Southern Hemisphere. Um, yes. And then we've seen the, the the rise, slow, but then more rapid rise of new agendas, including diversity and uh, mm. social environmental issues. So yes. you see all of that. And then suddenly the pandemic, it feels like they've accelerated all of those big it's things. Massive accelerator. Yeah. And I just mm. don't think businesses are fit for the future. I don't think the yes. old codes of business work anymore. And so the book is all about saying, what are the new codes? So how can you reimagine your business? How can you reinvent your business? But not just in terms of having a big vision, which is incredibly important in a, a, a better direction where you do yes. kind of more good for the world, but thinking about every aspect. So you know, how does your supply chain, how do teams work? How do you, how does your marketing work in terms of engaging uh, particularly young consumers today? So all of those yes. different dimensions are all different codes. And so in the yes. book, we explore 49 codes, which are really kind of shaking up. So it's almost um, like a DNA. Yeah, it's, it's like a DNA or, or a bit like a smorgasbord, if you take the, uh, yes. the, the Scandinavian word. Um, so you can, what I did was I, I said, who are the companies who are really shaking up the world in every different sector? So I didn't just want mm. the biggest companies or the famous companies. Yes. I wanted the interesting, disruptive companies. And I talked to over 50 CEOs. Um, yes. During the lockdown, it was actually easier because most of them were at home and online. <laughs> and um, and and I took the best ideas from each one of them. And that's how we created this smuggers board. So in a sense, you've got the best ideas of the most interesting 50 companies in the world in the book. And so pick and choose and bring them together. <laughs> so it's got great, great breadth and great depth. And you know, if there was like one or two big ideas that excited you the most when you were writing your book... You know, which ones would they be? Which ones would they you want uh, the listeners to you know, give them a peek into? Wow. Um, where do I start? So um, I, just to give you a feel of a few of them. So, yes. you know, I, I've worked with Microsoft over the last three, four years. And Satya Nadella is his transformation from a, a tired tech monolith to a really disrupted entrepreneurial tech company of today, trillion dollar tech company of today is phenomenal. Yes. Um, but just yes. simply using the power of purpose and growth mindset, those two things yes. really struck me. Or you take somebody mm -hmm. like Anne Wojcicki, who was a investment banker in Wall Street. She read a report about the future. Mm -hmm. So looking to the future becoming important. And she read that data is the future of healthcare. So she got yes. on she got on her bike or in her Volkswagen Beetle rather and um, drove to San Francisco. Set up a company called Twenty Three and Me. It cost nine thousand yes. dollars to profile the DNA at the time when she started. She bought it down to ninety nine dollars by changing the way it's done, changing the way she makes money from it, and and is now contributing towards the personalized drugs which are which are really helping in our fight against COVID nineteen. But I think to answer yes. your question, you know. Mm. 
I, I had a long conversation with Zhang Rumin, and um, yes. perhaps we don't know him so Hire. well, but Hire, yeah. So the, the founder, the CEO of Hire, which is the world's largest um, home appliances company, so refrigerators mm. and uh, washing machines. Mm. And he's a physicist as well. So we had a very boring conversation about, uh, about, um, about, uh, about how quantum mechanics of business today, but that's another story. Um, yeah, it was, it was really interesting. It was really, he was applying science to business, but, but I can tell you more yes. about that another time. Um, yes. I said to him, how do you see your business in five years time, 2026? Mm. And he said, well, in five years time, all of our products, every washing machine, every, um, refrigerator will be free. Mm. And I said, how are you going to make free, money? We'll be free. <laughs> we'll be free. And, and he, he said, well, you know, the reality is that products are not really interesting to, to consumers. What mm. really matters is what they put in them and how they get mm. advice in putting in them and that they get the best stuff put into them when they need them. So if you have IoT, Internet of yes. Things, truly tracking everything which is going in and out of your fridge or washing machine, you can understand what are people eating. Therefore, you could become a self-replenishing home delivery uh, food company, or you could work in partnership like an ecosystem to do that. Likewise mm. with clothing, um, you know, mm. you could sort of become a, um, not just a fashion retailer, but you could become a fashion advisor. And suddenly, yes. instead of hire talking to people once in their lives when they buy a new washing machine, you could start talking to them every day. You could move from a one-off purchase to a mm. subscription service where you're getting regular cash flow coming every day from, from, from everything which they do. And you become so much more emotionally important in that person's life. And so this is a heavy engineering manufacturing company become yes. a truly intimate consumer company. It's, it, it's, it seems to me that this is a, a massive wake-up call for leaders, uh, CEOs, managers in every company because it feels, it feels like every industry, every vertical is going to be fundamentally uh, reshaped over the next couple of years. And like you said right at the beginning, if you're not uh, harnessing this sort of new mindset, new code for a new reality, you fall behind and you never catch up. Absolutely. And, and, and I guess, you know, learning in the broadest yes. sense is so important today. I, I mean, I would call it being curious. You know, the, the yes. really important thing for any business leader today is to be interested in the future, to be curious what is happening in their own sector, but also in adjacent and related sectors. You know, mm. I was I was um, I was doing a, a, a workshop with the, the C-suite of Europe's largest steel company, Acerinix, um, yes. yesterday. And, um, and I was talking to them about companies like Tesla and SpaceX and mm. you know, some of the top people in that company mm. were completely dismissive. That will never happen. That's not real business. <laughs> um, their valuations aren't justified. Well, maybe they're not completely justified, but, um, but, but at incredible. the same time, heard they so many times, buy. haven't we, this yeah. kind of reaction. Yeah. And they just don't see that, you know, people will still be buying steel in the future. We don't need to change. But even if you look in the steel industry, you know, if you look at, um, who is it, a company called Kluckner, um, based in Duisburg yes. in Germany, you know, they've, yes. they've said, let's stop making steel itself and let's create a platform for steel. And so they've created um, a an independent platform, which is like the Amazon of, of, of steel yes. making. So any, any construction uh, company who wants some steel can go to, to, to this new platform and they can find steel from 
the best person they want to or the right steel they want at the best price. And so mm. you know, even the steel industry is fundamentally being shaken up in similar ways to which Netflix shakes up entertainment or Amazon retail. It's it, it reminds me of um, a really nice quote I, I saw recently by Adam Grant at Wharton, who uh-huh. said, "Now leaders need the um, we need the courage, uh, sorry, the curiosity to learn, but also the courage to unlearn." Yeah, and and this helps us uh, learning keep helps us to evolve, and mm-hmm. unlearning helps us to keep up as the world evolves. And I really remind it sort of reminded me of this uh, concept, this idea um, of unlearning, because uh, we all often focus on kind of learning and thinking and and doing, but also unlearning or eliminating old ways of thinking and. What are your thoughts around that in in your in your research and, and your books? You know, I think the uh, I think the biggest problem every company has is letting go of the past. Um, yes. And you know, the problem is the, the the companies who become most most successful find this most difficult because the more successful you become, the more desperate you are to hang on to that that winning Protect formula of the past. Yes. yes. And, yes. and so companies like you know GE, for example, or Ford Motor Company, then you know yes. they they became incredibly successful by following a certain model, and they're so scared of letting go of it, <laughs> and <laughs> and and they and, and the same goes for individuals. That's the point. Like yes. Adam Grant is yes. saying, you know, so yes. so that's what I mean by unlearn. You know, we we find mm. the model of success which gets us to where we are. <laughs> But mm. but we're afraid to, to, to adapt it or to change or to, to even disrupt ourselves. You know, Marshall Goldsmith mm. says, you know, what got you here won't get you there. Whitney Johnson says, yes. disrupt yourself. And, you know, mm. I think one of the biggest things as organizations are learning that, you know, the world is changing, so they need to constantly change, is yes. actually that they need to change themselves if they truly want to change their businesses in many cases. So... Yeah, learn and unlearn. Learn and unlearn. And I I, I read some of your uh, recent tweets and, you know, one which blew my mind was Canva. Oh, yeah. uh, Valued at $55 billion. And what's what's the backstory to that company? Because that's an incredible growth. Yeah, I mean, Canva is a... Um, a young couple. Um, hmm. uh, so um, they're married, know, aren't they? They are Melanie Perkins and her husband, and they they met backpacking. They're both Australian. Um, they yes. they want they didn't want to work for one of these big corporations. And if you ask any you know, young person today, they probably don't want to big work for one of those big corporations either because they see them as too big and monolithic and hierarchical yes. and unsustainable and and all those things still. So. So what Melanie particularly said, she's the CEO, and she she said, you know, we want to create a business which we love and by yes. which we can uh, do better for the world at the same time as, as you know, doing do, doing something which we love and is and successful. This is, yeah. this is not an empty slogan or a platitude, is it? This actually, actually came from, uh, you know, from the heart and the gut. Yeah, yeah. And, um, and so we should explain the business. So the business is a a platform business by which anybody can get access uh, to the best graphic design. So if you're creating a website and you want a new logo for your company, you want a new banner or new images, then they can either create or source um, those for you. And so anybody who is either a graphic 
designer or illustrator, for example, can connect with anybody who needs those kinds of services. And so mm. it really is on a mission to make the world a brighter, happier place um, through having yes. democratized, that word again, a democratized yes. um, access to, to, to graphic design. And, and you know, this, mm. you, you might have thought, you know, this company would stay relatively niche and relatively small. Um, mm. You know, and I was, I was in some ways, I was quite amazed when it, uh, it became a billion dollar company uh, in terms of its valuation. Um, yes. And then I remember just, um, when was it? Just before the pandemic, I looked at the valuation mm. and, and with new investment, it had gone up to about three or four um, billion dollars. This week, this week, it was valued at $55 billion. And, unbelievable, isn't it? and the amazing thing is, is that Melanie and her husband, Christoph, um, they want to give almost all of it away. And so even yeah. at an early age, you know, they're not quite the Bill Gates age of retiring and so on. But yes. you know, even at the early age, they realize that they don't need more than a billion dollars. I mean, they probably realize they don't need more than a million dollars. Um, but they want to they want to they want to use business. They want to use their business as a force for good. So how can we actually use that platform, mm. they say, as a way in which we can actually make a difference to certain mm. issues which we really care about in the world? And I think you, we're seeing more and more companies who don't mm. just do this as a bit of kind of um, side activity, CSR, but they fundamentally yes. want their the businesses core. to exist. Yeah, it's at the core. And they want mm. to use that, that platform which they created to amplify the way they and all of their consumers, because you know they have a million consumers, all the million other people can do some good in the world at the same time. It's, it, I think it's such a, a powerful uh, case study, and mm. you know, in terms of like some practical takeaways for uh, managers and listeners, as managers and leaders of different types of companies, what what would you say are one or two big practical takeaways um, for anybody working in any other industry or company right now? Wow, I think I think you know, takeaways would be uh, well. Firstly, we're in a time of incredible change. You know, crisis, <laughs> crisis. If you go back to the Chinese for crisis, I love this. Is is is, is defined by the word wei ye. And if you translate that word in Chinese, wei ye, yes. it's actually two words. It's danger, which is wei, and ye, which is opportunity. So crisis is opportunity. But we kind of all know that, and we yes. shouldn't be surprised because. You know, if you look at the Fortune 500, 57% of the Fortune 500 were, were created in the downturn. McDonald's, Microsoft, Apple, yes. Airbnb, Uber in the 2008 economic crisis. You know, so, so Never waste a good crisis. Never waste a good crisis because everything's shaken up. New companies start, old companies respond, and over 90% of all patents are filed within or just after crisis so it's a time of incredible mm. innovation as well so i think that's important so now is the that's time a good point seize seize the moment of shake-up <laughs> seize the moment yes. of shake-up so dare to do bigger things dare to do what you kind of only dreamed of doing beforehand so i think that's a really important mm. one there's the second the second one i think is really interesting is um don't be limited by your conventional boundaries. And so, so mm. many companies say, I work in the steel industry, I work in the food industry, I work in the banking industry. If you look at the, you know, the world's most innovative bank, DBS, it is now yes. a grocery retailer. If you look at the world's leading um, food delivery company, Maitun Dienpeng, it is now a financial services company. If you look at, um, <laughs> if you look at, um, 
the fastest growing company by value in Asia. It is C, based in Singapore. C is a fusion of um, of retail and finance, so bringing online retail and finance together. If you look at um, if you look at somebody like uh, let's think um, uh, Ping Duodu in in China, oh, yes. uh, fantastic name. Uh, then um, yes, I love that. Name. <laughs> You know, they're bringing social media and entertainment and retail together so that every time you play a game and we know how addicted some people are to gaming, then mm. you, 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 win, you win discounts. And so that's the way of getting a discount. And if you win a discount, Alibaba mm. know this, um, yes. if you win a discount, you're much more likely to spend it and then to engage your friends in doing so as well. And so you get kind of create an addictive uh, of gaming culture, but also retailing culture. Or, or purchasing culture too. So to the point is yes. the fusion of sectors. You know, we shouldn't mm. see ourselves limited to the old boxes and reframing your business, reframing what industry or even redefining the name of your industry for yourself mm. is really interesting. And the, the final point, Terence, I, I would say yes. take away is these fantastic technologies, they're all very interesting and mind-boggling in themselves. The really biggest point of them be it in terms of the, 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 the blockchains and digital platforms, or be it in terms of the artificial intelligence and use of data mm. itself, is, is the power of networks, the power to multiply, the power to, to, to take the smallest business and yes. to make it you know, have global reach if you wanted to. And so you know, companies like Shop, uh, organizations like Shopify, for example, which is uh, providing the infrastructure for a, a mom and pop shop, you know, a three or four person employee shop, which might be situated in, I don't know, the smallest town in, in Colombia. Suddenly, with Shopify's cloud-based technologies, they can, they can reach across the world and they can, they can be a global retailer in what they do. And Shopify will bring in you know, inventory management and distribution and administration and financial you know, merchant packages and so on. And so you can do everything you need to do. And so the power of networks to, to spread and multiply your business is absolutely phenomenal <laughs> this it's it's so uh so energizing and exciting and i can imagine for some leaders almost terrifying as well because of this this idea of not just learning but now unlearning at speed and scale and it almost seems like reimagination is is the new execution and there's another company that i know that we've both chatted about before um mutai is it okay. Mutai? Is that is that the correct pronunciation of this yep. uh, this whiskey company? And I, I discovered today that it's the 29th most valuable company on the planet. Absolutely. So so Kwai Chao Mutai is Chinese. I, I think I, I I would describe it. I tried it once um, as as Chinese fire water. You know, it's a, it's pretty. <laughs> it's, you, is, it, <laughs> is it is it worth worth testing? Worth trying? Yeah, you'll only take a small amount. So, uh, okay. all <laughs> right, that's good to know. Here's a company. Here's a company <laughs> who is really riding the wave of the of the new Chinese middle class. You know, one of yes. I do a lot of work in megatrends, and you know, mm. I, I I look at five megatrends, and you know, one of them is is about booming Asia, and and particularly focus on this new middle class, which is emerging across Asia, and obviously the biggest market currently in Asia is is China. That will be worth ten trillion dollars by 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 twenty thirty. So, what are those Chinese consumers 
doing? What are they aspiring towards? What are the brands which they're choosing? And some of them are Western brands, which, you know, the, the, particularly the luxury brands, which they, they, sig- they use to signal their, their kind of lifestyle progress. Um, yes. But at the same time, there's many local brands doing incredibly well. And they might be the Alibabas, the Tencents and so on. Um, but also some of the, the, the traditional brands like Kwai Chan Mutai. Um, and mm. so, you know, here's a brand which is now, you know, I think it's it's twice as big as Coca-Cola. It's four times bigger than a company like Yagio. Uh, and and there can't be many. Euro- I was them. thinking there can't be can't be many companies in Europe anyway that are bigger than that. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I think obviously you don't just look at the the, the value of a company in terms of mm. how good it is, but but it's but it's phenomenal in terms of an indication both in terms of how markets are shifting and how people see the future potential. Because remember, I, I mean, I particularly yes. look at the market value of a company, the market capital company, because that's building in really what is the future potential. Um, so yes. in the eyes of investors, but in the eyes of the information which the investors have from the companies and consumers and so on. And so you know, what is the future potential of companies and brands, I think is really interesting. So I particularly yes. look at that metric. So listeners, this is a really important point. Um, Check out Business Recoded. As I said, I I really love this book. It's got some incredible takeaways, including the new business DNA, uh, fast cycle learning, uh, the new leadership code, mega trends. And Peter, I wanted to ask you about, you know, you you wear so many interesting hats. And another (laughs) hat is your role as program director, i.e. business school. Uh, responsible for the Global Advanced Management Program. And w- can you share a bit more about the, the purpose of that program and, and why it's so timely and relevant in this era of hyperchange? Yeah, yeah, sure, absolutely. So um, about five years ago, IE Business School, which has actually just been voted the most entrepreneurial business school in the world, actually. So that's a fantastic uh, again. And so IE is based in Madrid, but it's a global business school. It, it everything is in English, and it brings people together from China to Brazil to Russia mm. and and everywhere else. And so we have a truly eclectic mix of of, of people who attend. And yes. um, I was given the the luxury, uh, the, the 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 opportunity mm. to develop their flagship executive program. So if you were to design a program for the leaders of the future, what would it be in? So we're particularly targeting people who are in the the, the second or the third level of the organization, people who are stepping yes. up to the C-suite, people who will become the CEO in the next five yes. to 10 years. And what uh, the, the vision for the program really is to say, well, what would those people need to, to know and to think and to be able to do to take their organizations beyond where they are today. So in a sense, how can they leapfrog or how can they kind of think beyond their current leaders, their CEO and so on. And what we designed was a program. Um, it's over 40 different modules. Um, it's a liquid learning. So it's 10, 10 modules What a great expression online. as well, liquid learning. Absolutely. So we flow, we flow like liquid um, from uh, <laughs> online to offline to online to offline. So um, yes. we, you know, you can mix it with your, your daily work and then you can kind of come together with a fantastic group of entrepreneurs from around the world um, mm. or business leaders. A great network as yeah, well. Yeah. And we go to beautiful, you know, World Heritage sites in Segovia and places like that. And, and what we do differently is that mm. um, we start from the future. 
So it's not yes. like a boring business school where you do a module on finance and module on strategy and whatever else, which you could read a book about. Instead, we immerse ourselves in the future. We, we start off with a 10 year plus perspective and we bring people together who are really thinking about, you know, what is, how is, well, how is AI and how are these next technologies, but how is humanity as well? So using anthropologists, for example, um, mm. how is the, how is the world shaping hand? How is business both being shaped and shaping the world in the future? Then we kind of look at, well, where are the opportunities in the next three to five years for growth? So, you know, particularly like some of those Asian markets, for example, yes. um, in terms of how, how how is the how are the opportunities for business changing, and where should you focus, and how do you develop new types of business models to get there? Then we really yes. focus on how do you reinvent your business. So reinventing everything from the uh, customer proposition through to the supply chain and the organization model and the way teams work and so on, and then how do you make it happen? And the, 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 both the transformational elements and the practical day-to-day, -day, how do you manage in this, this fast-changing world and how do you manage a fast-changing business? And we brought together, you know, 40 incredible people. We call them faculty because it's an academic world, but, but 40 yes. incredible um, people to, to, to be the coaches of this program. And I'm delighted, Terence, that you're one of them. So that's, <laughs> that's fantastic. But um, you know, if you look at if you look at some of the others, you know, people like um, you know business leaders such as Jim Hagerman Snaba, who's the chairman of Siemens and Maersk. He comes along yes. and he spends a day with these with these with these participants in terms of exploring. You know, what do what do business leaders really need to do for the future? He's the chairman. What does he expect of Siemens executive team? Yes. Or bring together people like Chris Rangin, who's a fantastic expert in terms of transformational change, or people like mm. uh, um, Terence Z in terms of AI, mm. um, Marcus Pesito yes. in terms of, um, of, of future megatrends. He's working with the, the UAE government at the moment. Tendai Viki, fantastic guy yes. from Zimbabwe in terms of works with Alex Osterwalder and the team. And, and the yes. future of business models or mm. bring together people like, um, uh, who else? Uh, Mark Fritz in terms of uh, human-centered uh, design and uh, Veronica Reyero, who is a yes. digital anthropologist. Mia de Kuypers, she's a board member of Salesforce and she talks about power nodes. How do you do that? Right. Stephen right. McGregor, yes. he's, the, um, he's the author of the Chief Wellness Officer. He, he, he trains Olympic athletes and he talks about how you can be an Olympic athlete as a CEO as well, and so yes. many more people. And you know, my job it's... is to connect all that together to, to, to create a journey and experience for people by which they can transform their future. Mm. So it's not just about transforming your business, it's about transforming yourself as well. And so, you know, over that, those 40 different modules, which all together take about six months, you know, they go back and they can see the world differently and they can take their businesses further. It's it's the 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 sort of the, the, the a big message that um, I've taken away is this idea of starting from the future that I think everybody can um, benefit from this. It was such a it's such a, a simple hack, but very powerful. Um, so sort of this future back strategy to look ahead and work backwards, and yeah. it's so powerful. Especially the last eighteen months, are you know our lives have been turned upside down. Uh, you know, technology changed, the office changed, priorities changed, everything seemed to change. And we seem to be in this liminality st uh, phase of one foot in a pre-pandemic world and one foot in a new
new, turbulent, unknowable world, but also with great, like you say, great risk, but also great opportunity. And I wanted to ask you, Peter, coming to our sort of final five minutes, mm-hmm. um, you know, a lot of leaders at the moment are uh, wrestling with um, how to transition to hybrid. What does hybrid look like in terms of um, team success, culture success? Do you have any emerging research insights on thriving in a hybrid world? I think, I think the, the the first point is really do not get obsessed about hybrid in the sense of um, physical work and, and virtual work. You know, they, these yes. are artificial boundaries. That's why we introduced the word liquid. So think about, about liquid work, if you like. Um, and do not get obsessed about where you do it so you know i've I've talked on so many kind of um uh, webinars and discussion forums recently about how many days should we spend in the office and you know most of them are obsessed with that aren't they most of the research says um between you know two or three days is is kind of the the optimal but the point is the point is not where you work it's how you work um and and that's the really interesting thing if from from a point of view of of thinking about the ways of working of the future then you know Mm. what we've learned during the pandemic is that actually when we when we when we when we're on zoom we can connect with people faster and we can Mm. connect with more people and we connect with people further so you know if you're working in a multi-locational business then suddenly you know those 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 distances become zero and so mm-hmm. you can you can have multinational teams you can bring cross-functional experts together easily in the ways mm-hmm. which perhaps you couldn't do beforehand you can spend you know a 30 minute call thanks to zoom only limiting 40 minutes in many cases but uh, <laughs> but uh, you can you can limit your meetings to 30 minutes now um, yes. you can send more in advance and then you can discuss just the things which really matter in the, in the meeting as opposed to having to uh, impart knowledge in the meeting, which is kind of a waste of time. So mm. you're know, using the meetings for the discussions after you've actually shared the information. So I think you know mm. all of these kind of very simple, practical things are important. Some really, really important ones there. And I, I think what I've seen as well is um, you know it can actually um, amplify inclusivity and a sense of belonging especially with uh, some of these virtual meetings where they can be more interactive i wanted to ask you uh, something that i think a lot of people have experienced is uh you know it's fat you know zoom fatigue collaborate collaboration fatigue risk risk of burnout seems to be higher for many um some research from gallup showing this sort of productivity paradox that for many people productivity has actually gone up people are working more but for many um anticipatory anxiety about the future and and well-being has gone down i wanted to ask you do you have any um, insights um strategies on the you know managing this risk of burnout uh, which we're all all of us are kind of one step away from that um, in these such fast growing uh, fast moving contexts. Well, the if I if I talk to my chief wellness officer uh, who I mentioned yes. beforehand, he he tells me that every thirty minutes I have to stand up and do ten squats. Okay, so so that's the first <laughs> thing to do. That's ten squats. So and keep <laughs> keep keep your pelvis and keep your back straight as you're doing the squats. Okay. And particularly, yes. particularly if you get over the age of 40, 
you should be doing more squats and you should be increasing the number of squats every day because that's incredibly important for your back muscles and your legs. So, so that's the yes. first point. Okay. Yes. The, the, the second, <laughs> the second, <laughs> the second point is that, you know, we have this opportunity to find new ways of working. We don't have to be slaves to the nine to five. We don't have to be slaves to the office, uh, the, the office location anymore. And so, you know, this is our opportunity to find a better balance in terms of the ways we work and the ways in which we live. But I think mm. the whole um, work-life balance kind of terminology is wrong. It's, um, it's because, data, isn't it? Yeah, because it kind of says you compartmentalize work separate from life. And we know that mm. so many people, and we particularly know that young people want work to be part of life they want to they want to do something that mean a sense of meaning yeah, contribution they, they want they want to they want to do something which they care about and they want to do something which they're good at and they, they they're quite happy to do it and they're connected to their lives and they're quite happy to socialize with the people who they work with if they have a passion for what they do and so whether you're working on a startup or whether you're working in a you know, manufacturing production line i think being able to find more meaning uh, is incredibly important um mm. The third thing, um, which 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 has really struck me, and you know, done a lot of research on this area, is is the power of teams. You know, so so as people have worked more remotely, um, they've they've kind of almost had more power. So they've 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 been empowered by leaders because leaders couldn't be there, leaders couldn't be involved in everything, and so they've had to empower people, forced to let go, and which is fantastic because you start to create teams which are much more self-managing teams which really have the ability to kind of make their own decisions to kind of find their own rules of working their ways of working um and to find their own strengths and weaknesses within each other in terms mm. of how they all contribute so i think you know people have been going through that um you know um forming storming norming uh phases yes. of of kind of finding their new ways of working as a team and yes. You know, it, it allows leaders to let go. It allows leaders to spend more time thinking about the future and reimagining where they're going to go as an organization and having that clarity of purpose to, to help them to get there and everybody to share that yes. purpose. But at the same time, teams become really important. And you know, the, the, the work I've done is on extreme teams. You know, how do you learn from sports teams, for example? Because a great yes. sports team doesn't, have a, doesn't really have a manager. They have a coach who helps them to improve each of their different talents and to help them to work together. But when they mm. go into the field of play, they're on their own. Mm. And that's in mm. many senses is what a, a leader today is doing in, in business. Mm. They're coaching their people to, to, to perform their best as extreme teams. And mm. you know, some great work by Google's Aristotle project and by Amy Edmondson, for example, um, in terms of saying, how do you build these great teams who are self-managing self and, and have the confidence to do great stuff? And you know, really, it's yes. a combination of stretching them. So yes. you need some stretch, and so they have ambition, and they, you know, they, they really do have an incentive to do something bold and big. Mm. Um, but also, they have psychological safety at the same time. Yes. So that there's, there's a safe environment by which they can test and learn things. They can have that growth mindset. Um, for going yes. forwards and you know if you look during the last 18 months the teams who mm -hmm. performed the best are the teams in our hospitals the teams on our medical front lines the teams mm -hmm. who truly have been stretched but at the same time have had psychological safety and mm -hmm. if you want to learn from a sports team or if you want to learn from a medical team you know what is it which makes your team 
really successful today and how can you do better and how can you both enjoy life but also mm. achieve more in terms of your working life and what is the role for leaders in terms of making those teams work I, I, I love that and it reminds me of the late psychiatrist Oliver Sacks who mm -hmm. spoke about these three catalysts for, for teams and, and for life in general and he said um, one is a strong sense of belonging you know who are we part of yeah. uh, two is a strong sense of believing you know, believe in that have a strong purpose believe in something and three was be in a perpetual state of becoming so that we're always learning evolving unlearning and it's uh, yeah that really resonated with me Peter, I wanted to ask you, how, how do people stay in contact with you after today, follow, follow your work, connect with you? Okay, so really simple. My name is Peter Fisk, and my website is called peterfisk.com. And my email yes. is peterfisk at peterfisk.com. <laughs> and, uh, and if you go to the website, you can sign up to my monthly newsletter, which is called Fast Leader, which is when I it's try to bring... brilliant, by the way. It is brilliant. Thank you, Terence. And it tries to bring all of the best things I see in the world, the best books, the best new company ideas, uh, all of the best um, insights around the world, which are happening right now. So you can subscribe to that, send me an email, and I'll send it to you free. This, is, this has been a really enjoyable conversation and I wanted to give you a, a sort of final call to action. Are there any final calls to action today? We've been through such an, a, a sort of intense uh, 18, 19 months of you know, awe and anxiety and, and uh, all sorts of challenge, you know, personal challenges. Also a sense of loss in many ways, loss of hierarchies, loss of... Uh, future or but also at the same time like you said there, there is hope and there is optimism and there is opportunity and as a sort of final call to action for our listeners uh who are typically you know senior leaders around the world what are your final uh, sort of net, you know, takeaway actions today or or conversations that our listeners can be thinking of having as follow-ups from your messages okay um Wow, what, what should I say? Um, <laughs> yeah, I was listening to Jane Fraser. I don't know if you know Jane Fraser. She's a um, Scottish lady who's just become CEO ah, of yes. Citigroup. And, yes. uh, and she did her call to action. And she, um, she in her first um, communication to all her, her people in Citigroup, said, you know, there's three Cs. Um, and the three Cs mean that we cannot go on uh, the way which we are. As an investment bank, we have to reinvent what investment banks are. So her three Cs were to have courage, to have creativity, and to have confidence in terms of the future. But I have something slightly different for you. So my three Cs, as people step up, because you know I want people to dare to create a better future. I want people to have the courage to not only to kind of move their business beyond the pandemic, but to do something with business, which makes the world better at the same time, and to kind of accelerate the ways in which we can do things together as consumers, as governments, and other types of organizations. And having that bigger vision of the future means that you need to be bold, but you also need to be brave. And if you can do that, you can be brilliant. Oh, I, I, I love that. I think, you know, our, our goal today was to give our listeners the equivalent of a Emma Raducanu uh, US <laughs> Open final. I think, I think we've exceeded that. And, and so, uh, Peter, thank you so much for joining Hack Future Podcast today. It's been a delight and, uh, you know, look, looking forward to next time. Thank you so much, Terence, and thank you to everybody who's been listening. 
Today's powerful conversation with Peter Fisk reminded me that in a world where the only certainty is uncertainty, leaders can no longer adopt a wait-and-see approach. New contexts demand new mindsets. For example, bossed to unbossed, ego to eco, hierarchies to networks and communities, and leadership styles that move from command and control to care and co-creation. Peter's new book, Business Recoded, is a clarion call for leaders everywhere to scale what makes us more human. Intelligence, empathy, courage, and compassion. We need the curiosity to learn and the courage to unlearn. Learning helps us evolve, but unlearning helps us to keep up as the world evolves. What's the most important conversation you will have today to move the dial on reimagination as the new execution?